0: In God's providence this evening, we're actually going to be in the book of Psalms. So not nothing that we had previously planned, but God and his His eternal plan it, had it that way. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 54. If you want to turn there as we open, and we're going to do some dancing beginning between Psalm 54 and then the historical context that we find it in. So let me open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll we'll get started. Dear Lord, I thank you for for music god i thank you for the psalms i thank you for the effect that it has upon us lord you created us you created us with this this aptitude with this this ability to feel and to be moved lord and god it is no more uh moving than when it is combined with with truth about you lord and i pray now as we open up to your word and go into psalm chapter 54 lord i pray that you would direct our hearts and our minds, Lord, and and our souls to, to feel, to know, to live, to trust your word, Lord, as we uh, learn to, to worship you in a, a more sincere way. Praise your name. Amen. Well, one of the benefits that we've had in being able to read at the beginning in January, there were a few of us that were endeavoring to read through the Bible in a year doing the Bible reading program and uh, one of the, the highlights of it for me has been that it takes you through different parts of Scripture that happen at the same time and kind of runs you concurrently through them. And one of the neat things about it was obviously much of the book of Psalms was written by David, and you can only read so many Psalms while you're going through First Samuel and 2 Samuel. You can only get through so many of the Psalms on each of those days. But it links as you're reading through the book of First and Second Samuel, it links you to the, the psalm that was written while David was going through this event in his life. And it uh, gives you a, a much greater appreciation for both the psalm and his mindset for when he was going through uh, whatever trial, whatever situation it was that he was faced with. And this evening I wanted to uh, to be able to go back and look at one of these events of uh, one of the psalms and how it is linked to the situation in David's life. So we're going to be going through Psalm chapter 54 this evening. But to give us, some, give us some historical context, I want you to keep a finger, paper, whatever it may be, in Psalm 54 and turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel 22. We're going to give ourselves a little bit of context and quickly cover chapter 22 and 23. But David has been anointed king of Israel. Saul has proven to, to be disobedient to be rebellious in his heart to God, and God has moved on and has anointed David, had Samuel anoint David. Saul is still on the throne. Saul is still the physical king of Israel, even though David is the uh, God's anointed. So we're, we're working through David living in a world where he's the anointed of God, but Saul is also God's anointed and ruling on the throne. And Saul knows the threat of David and is now seeking to to kill David, uh, despite David's faithfulness and David's deeds on behalf of Saul and the kingdom of Israel, that David is on the run. And as we see in chapter 22, David had come to this city of Nob and had been received by these priests. They gave him the bread in chapter 21, the holy bread to eat. And Saul finds out about the support that David had received from these priests And we see in chapter 22 that Saul comes there after David has been able to escape and run out into the desert. Saul comes and he slaughters the priests at Nob for supporting and harboring David, his enemy. David is running around knowing that wherever he goes, Saul is going to be quickly following behind him. If he has shown no respect no sympathy to priests of God, he's certainly not going to show any to David. As we get uh, to the end of chapter 22, uh, and again, if you also, for your own further edification later, Psalm 52 happens at this point in uh, First Samuel 22. So if you later on want to go back and read Psalm 52, it's written when David realizes that the, the priests have been slaughtered because of their support of David. We get uh, to the end of chapter 22, and the son of Ahimelech, Abiathar, Ahimelech's a priest. Abiathar is a priest who would remain faithful to David until the end, when he didn't. But Abiathar uh, runs to David and lets him know uh, what happened, and David said, stay with me, do not be afraid, in verse 23, for he who seeks my life now seeks yours. He's like, well, now you're guilty, because now you're known to be a known felon uh, with me. Now By association, you are now guilty. But with me, you shall be in safekeeping. Which is kind of a rich statement, right? It's like, well, don't worry. The king of Israel is out to kill everyone, and I can't protect the people that I just fled. But if you're with me, you're safe. And you kind of look around, and you're like, well, David, you're kind of in the wilderness. How are you safe? That seems like a very odd statement to make. But uh, we're going to see a little bit of the attitude of David as we go through Psalm 54. Now, uh, David is uh, – and he ha- he's in this in-between stage where he still feels the, the need to protect Israel without being its king. And he finds out that the Philistines have overtaken the city of Kalah. And Kalah was a city uh, over near uh, in between the area of Philistia and, uh, and Israel and Judah. And it's kind of this in-between space where the cities just kept going back and forth, back and forth. And the, uh, they had robbed the threshing floors, and the threshing floors where they get their wheat, the harvest. They'd, uh, they'd throw it up, winnow it, and beat it. Uh, and to rob a threshing floor was to rob uh, a village of its future. That was its food, that was its trade. So to rob a threshing floor is not just holding up the co- local quickie mart on the corner, it was to, to rob uh, a, a village, a town, of its future. David. Uh, inquires of the lord should i go attack and the lord says yes i'll give you victory so he goes to Kelah, and he delivers them from the ph- philistines a great god gives him a great uh, a great victory and while he's there uh, Abiathar came and brings them to the ephod and uh, it was told to saul that David had come to Kelah. so saul finds out someone ratted david out so David does this great deed rescues them from the hands of the philistines and someone there goes and rats him out and tells Saul, hey, he's in law. And if you get there, you can trap him. Well, David finds out what's going on. And David uh, has the ephod come uh, comes to him and he, he inquires of the Lord, God, uh, does Saul know that I'm here? He said, yes, yes, he knows that you're there. He says, uh, are the people going to turn me over to him? And God says, yes, yes, they are. He said, okay, so... David's on the run again. So now David's freed the city, but then realizes that they're going to turn on him in a second and hand him over to Saul. So David is now on the run again, and he runs out into the wilderness. When he's in the wilderness, Saul is still pursuing him, and he comes to this village of Ziph, in the wilderness of Ziph. Uh, And these Ziphites uh, see David come among them, and they turn on David. And at this point... Um, if you actually back up to verse 14, uh, an interesting statement, verse 14 of chapter 23, it says, David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So we see the sovereignty of God, right? We see the protection of God over David. It was God who was in charge of protecting David. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph, and Jonathan's son, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, comes out to visit him and says, don't fear, You know Saul's going to die, you're going to be king, Saul knows this, and that's, why, that's why he's mad, but Jonathan's encouraging him, saying, don't worry, God's in control of the future, you're going to be king, there's nothing to fear. And the two of them make a covenant, um, and then the Ziphites go up to Saul and say, hey, David's hiding, we know where he's at, and Saul says, great. Watch him closely. I want to know all of his hiding places. I don't want to have him hear that I'm coming and then run and find a new cave to hide in. So I want you to monitor him. Watch him from a distance. Know where it is that he's going to go, the different hiding places that he has. And so Saul comes down and, uh, and uh, goes in verse 24, uh, went to Ziph. Uh, they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul to spy out David. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, and the Arabah to the south of Jeshemon. And Saul and his men went to seek him and David was told so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul had heard he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. Okay, so now this place there is other than the caves there's nowhere to hide. There's no trees. It is uh, a a awful location to be in. Uh, when, when I had the privilege of being in Israel uh, you're there, it is hot, it is arid, it is dry we were hiding in each other's shadows just to get out of the sun uh, it is not a pleasant place to be. Okay, This isn't uh, Robin Hood in uh, the forest hiding Okay, uh, with nice waterfalls and tree houses. This is rocks crags, caves, dry arid desert okay and now David is trapped, and Saul is coming down on him. And this is the point where I believe that David pens Psalm fifty four. So I want you to keep a finger there in First Samuel and turn back to Psalm chapter fifty four. And in in this psalm, we're gonna see four points, okay? Four points of David's prayer for preservation. So if you're taking an outline, four points of David's prayer for preservation. That uh, David's immediate recourse is to go to God, is to flee to God, go to God for help, go to God for aid, knowing that that is the only course of action that he he has. Uh, Now, if this were a Hollywood production, if this were were a modern Hollywood production, our hero would no doubt uh, lead an undermanned and underpowered uh, group of the unlikeliest little heroes uh, to to victory with uh, sheer determination and bravery with a cunning plan, uh, they would come up and they would make a a, a great charge, uh, and it would be a, a it would work itself into a great a great movie, but that's not the way that it practically works out, right? David realizes he has no physical advantage over Saul. Saul has him outnumbered. Saul has him cornered. Right? There is no physical opportunity for David to to have a victory. It is similar to when the the last time I was uh, up here preaching, the Israelites with their back to the Red Sea. This is one of those moments, right? One of those moments that God sovereignly puts David in because we saw back that it was God who was protecting David through this. And uh, the first point of David's prayer for preservation is in verse 1 and 2. It's a plea for preservation. A plea. So David's plea first. Let me read the first two verses. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. So David starts off with a plea. He says, God, you alone are my salvation. You are my only hope. You are it, right? Now, it's interesting as we go through this, I want you to pay attention to the different names of God that David uses. And I'll I'll clue you in on some of them because unless you have your Hebrew Bible in front of you, uh, you're probably uh, not going to be able to tell some of the differences between a couple of them. But this is Elohim. Elohim, the plural God, the Godhead. He appeals to the Almighty God. Elohim, save me by your name. Save me by your name. He's looking for salvation, for preservation, for for a rescue in an impossible situation. There is no way out for him. And David doesn't say, save me because I'm in danger. He doesn't say, save me because I'm uncomfortable. Save me because this is not part of my plan. He says, save me. What is the reason why he wants God to save him? To save me by your name, vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer and give ear to my mouth. He said, he, he recalls his name. He says, This is about your name, God. This is this is about who you are. It's similar to, to Moses crying out to God in the wilderness. He said, God, this is about your name. I'm your anointed. You have to save me, you have to preserve me. Because if you don't, then you've fallen on your word. So David turns around and says to God, save me by your name, by your nature, by who you are. Vindicate me by your might, by your power. David is 100% certain that God has the ability to rescue him. There's no shadow of turning right now with David. He is confident that he is in the right When he says "vindicate me," here he's he's speaking in for uh, a a legal term. It's like judge me, vindicate me, plead my case. Said that this is not the reason I'm in this situation is not because I've done something wrong. That that I haven't besmirched the name of Saul. I haven't rebelled. I haven't I haven't raised up the people and started a, a war against Saul. I haven't done anything that's wrong. So, said, God, you can vindicate me. You can deliver me and, and declare me to be innocent. David knew that infinite wisdom and infinite power were never, are never in straits. True and lively faith has a delight in turning to God. That he knew he is appealing to God by God's very nature. See, I'm not, in, I'm not in trouble here because God's nature remains to be true. Because God has the power, God has the ability, God has the might, and God is good. God's name will be upheld. So he says, God, save me. Save me by your name. Vindicate me. Hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. He says, Hear me, Shema is the Hebrew word, uh, the, the popular word for and uh, they have the great uh, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. Saying, hear me out. Spurgeon, in his uh, commentary on the Psalms, says, this has ever been the defense of the saints. As long as God has opened ears, we cannot be shut up in trouble. So as long as God has an open ear, we can't be shut up in trouble. All other weapons may be useless, but all prayer is ever more available. No enemy can spike this gun. David's only recourse here is prayer. It's to turn to God in prayer. That The, the situation is absolutely impossible. There is no rational way for David to be esca- to, to, to escape this jam. So David's not even going to try. David's just going to sit down and pray. God, you, you got me into this situation. I know your future for me. You've told me your future for me. Now make it happen. <laughs> now God, I'm, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch. How are you going to get me out of this jam? How are you going to save me? So David starts off with with his plea for a preservation, and then he presents God with the prevailing problem in verse 3. The prevailing problem, for strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Now this, this, this word strangers that, God, that, that David uses here is an interesting word for him to use in this situation. And there's a little bit of debate as to what it is that he meant and if it should be translated strangers at all. But I think it should because I think David's using this very particularly. Strangers is what they would refer to non-Jewish people as. This is, this is what they would refer, refer to someone who was not of them, who was not of their family. But they were Israelites. But they weren't acting like God's people. They were God's people, but they were acting like strangers. So David's saying, these people that I thought were on my side, I came here for shelter, thinking that I had a sympathetic voice. And again, after I just went and delivered the city of Kala from, from the Philistines, they turn on me. Now I come over here in the wilderness, and these people turn on me. I thought I could trust them for... For, for protection against Saul. He said, no, they're nothing but strangers. They're not brothers. They're strangers before God. In using that term, David's condemning them. They're strangers to God. They're profane and loathsome to God, even though they were his countrymen. And the ruthless men he said, the ruthless seek my life. Imagine, put yourself in David's sandals for a moment. Saul is bloodthirsty. He has already shown he's willing to murder priests in order to intimidate people to not help David. Saul has already shown that he's willing to do the heinous, the the horrible. These, these are ruthless men. They're terrifying. They're fearful. They're violent, horrible people. The danger is real. This is tangible. You can taste the danger in the air right now for, for David. He's saying, these strangers, I'm, I'm surrounded by these strangers. They turned me over. They've risen up against me. And now the ruthless men, they seek my life. They want to kill me. They want to murder me. he says, but guess what? They do not set God before themselves. They do not set God before themselves. So these people, they're going to betray me. They're going to turn against me. These, these guys coming down, the ruthless, they're going to murder and rampage to try to intimidate people. But they're hopeless because they don't have God. Which is it? Which is ironic? If you be, if you went back to First Samuel, when the men of Ziph come to Saul and tell them tell him about David, do you know what he says? Praise the Lord that you've come and helped me. It's like, oh, you're being obedient to God. Praise God that you're you're in God's side and you're helping good old Saul get that, that miscreant David. Saul Saul didn't have God wasn't doing this in, in God's name. He was delusional. They, did, they have not set God before themselves. That is David's true advantage here. Is that He set God before himself. It's like they, they don't do that, but guess what? The biggest army in the world can, could, could come down on me tonight, but they don't have God. They don't have God. This recalls uh, to me uh, the the story of Hezekiah, right? And Sennacherib coming and surrounding Jerusalem, sieging Jerusalem with hundreds of thousands of men. These terrible, horrible soldiers, this army that was known for this great skinning people alive and doing awful, heinous things. Uh, the Assyrians were not a, a, a pleasant army to, to fall to. There was no mercy uh, to, to the Assyrians. And, uh, and, and Hezekiah obviously turns to God. Uh, and and what happens in the middle of the night? The angel of the Lord descends and wipes out over 100,000 soldiers in the middle of the night. If God wants to save you, God will save you. It doesn't matter how many horrible Fearsome soldiers are on the other side. God's going to save you. It doesn't matter if there's a, no, a seed at the back of you and the most trained army in the world is bearing down on front of you, right? This is all about God's power, God's power on display. And David says they don't have God set before them. But the implication here is I do. I do. So it doesn't matter. My, my present search situation, the the, 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 the the, the climate that I'm in right now, it doesn't matter. These circumstances, it doesn't matter. Because I have God. And that, that trumps everything. That that overrules every possible scenario that could come against me. So after pleading to God for a preservation and speaking to God about the prevailing problem that was coming down on him, now the third point of David's prayer Is a powerful providence, the powerful providence of God. You can hear David preaching to himself here. And what what does he start with? What does it say first in verse four? This is the audience participation portion of the program. What does it say? Behold, Behold. says behold. Does it say It, it, it? David wrote this probably in like font 72, right? He he just went on his little uh, PC and picked the biggest font that was available there. It says, behold, behold. Regardless, this is in contrast to his present circumstances. It says, behold. Spurgeon said, he saw enemies everywhere. And now to his joy, he looks upon the band of his defenders and sees one whose aid is better than all the help of the men. He is overwhelmed with joy at recognizing his divine champion. And he cries, Behold. He is he's crying out to his own heart here. He says, Behold, God is my helper. It is not a common thing to be found in such circumstances... And then be be led to praise. You're in, and in such desperate straits here. And you said, But God is on my side. Behold, God. Elohim, the creator, the three in one, the Godhead itself, the creator and sustainer of the universe, David says, He's on my side. He's my helper. I love the term there, where he says he's he's my helper. If you, as a side note that I haven't thought of before now, if anyone ever wants to talk about a wife being or a woman being a man's helper as being, uh, you know, a demeaning thing, David says God's my helper, (laughs) right? God's my helper, which is like underplaying it a little bit, probably. But God's my helper. He is my aid. He is my strength. He is my resources. He is it. He is my armory. He is my army. Then he says, the Lord, the Lord is the upholder of my life. And here he uses the term, the word Adonai for God. Adonai is the upholder of my life. I am not the upholder of my life. God controls every breath I take. He knew the truth that we had read just back in 1 Samuel. That the only reason David is alive right now is God. He's the upholder of my life. He's my helper. He's the one that I have behind me. verse 5 will return the evil to my enemies and in your faithfulness put an end to them now it's interesting is is I, I if you didn't know what happens I, I'm sorry I'm going to ruin it for you David gets away okay so I to, to, uh, to ruin that part of it for you I'm sorry if you didn't know that but David does get away and as we see in the following chapters, David has Saul's life in his hands and doesn't take it. He spares Saul. And people are like, David, you can end it now and you can be king. Take the spear and run him through. He would do it to you. What does David say? "I, I can't lay my hand on God's anointed. And then it gets to after Saul dies and some really poor guy really misjudged the Temperature in the room, and comes in and says, "David, uh, I think you should probably thank me. Uh, I killed Saul." <laughs> and and David's devastated. Didn't realize that it was a lie that the guy didn't, and has the guy killed for it? Said, "You laid your hand on God's anointed." So when David here says, "In your faithfulness, put an end to them." He's relying completely on God's sovereignty to work out the situation. Saying, it's not up to me to do this. It's not up to me to find my way out of this. God has me in the situation. God's made me promises. And God will keep them and God will get me out of this situation. That it's not up to me to find a resourceful way to get out. And he shows that when he spares Saul's life time and time again. And then condemns other people who want to kill him. He said, God, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. In your faithfulness, God will put an end to it. It is only a matter of time. But I'm going to rely on God's hand, and I'm not going to force it which is interesting like I don't know if I were there and I were talking to David I'd be like, "Well, how do you know that this isn't God providing you the opportunity?" But David was firm in that belief. David was firm. I'm sure I would have been with the rest of the of the men with David and being like, "I'm I'm 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 looking at the situation right now and I can kind of see God's sovereign plan here of leading you here and look, oh there he's sleeping and look, look, you have a sword." Uh, right? But David said, "No." I'm going to trust in God's faithfulness. If he dies of a heart attack, he could die of a heart attack. If he dies of a stroke, he could die of a stroke. God could take him however he wants. God's shown his creativity before, right? And God will show his creativity in the future. Herod Agrippa sitting on the throne. Boom, worms kill him. Like, weird things happen. God works in mysterious ways. And David says, I'm going to leave it up to God. God wants to do this, God's going to do it. God wants to deliver me, God's going to deliver me. God wants to take care of my enemies, I'm going to let God take care of them. I'm not going to fight that battle. So David here is completely dependent upon God's faithfulness. Uh, one, One commentator that I was reading said, Whatever makes us feel our entire dependence upon God is good for us. Whatever makes us feel our entire dependence upon God is good for us. David could not have had this blessed experience of this psalm if Saul and his cohort had not sought his life. And obviously, if David were given the opportunity to write the course of his life, it would not have included this narrative, right? This chapter would have been left out of his own autobiography and writing of his life. But he knew that this was part of God's plan. And God made it happen. And so it was good. Because God was in control. All right, finally, fourth, we see the promise of praise. The promise of... Of praise. So David, fully confident in God's salvation, now says, With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies says, God, I am going to give you a free will offering. A free will offering was one. They, they had offerings that they, had to, that they were prescribed to be able to offer throughout the year. Uh, major sacrifices, five major fa- sacrifices that we see in the first few chapters of the book of Leviticus. And then along with the feasts, they had other sacrifices that they would, they would bring uh, to the Lord. Right, And David says, I, I, just want, I just want to worship you. I want to bring you a sacrifice just because I want to worship you. Because I love you. Because you're my salvation. Not because there's an occasion, right? And if we could draw even like the slimmest of an illustration here to relate it. This is the difference between a husband bringing his wife flowers on Valentine's Day and a husband bringing his wife flowers on July 16th. Right? On one, it's like, okay, well that's what you're kind of expected to be able to do. And Seven months later, it's because you love and you want to, right? It's because you you want to. And David said, I want to worship you not because you ask me to. I want to worship you not because you say, do this. I want to worship you because I love you, because I want to worship you, because I want to worship you, right? It's because his want to is there. I'm going to offer you a free will offering. I'll give thanks in your name, O Lord, for it is good. Now here we have the third name of God. And you'll notice it's all capitalized, right? That's Yahweh. That is the name of covenant God. That is the covenant faithfulness of God. When you see uh, L-O-R-D, all caps, it is it is the writer is bringing to mind the covenant faithfulness of God. It is Yahweh who made the covenant with God, with uh, with Israel, excuse me. He said, I'm going to give thanks to you, O Lord, my my faithful God, the God of of the covenants. God made his own covenant with David. I'm I'm, I'm going to give thanks to you because it's good. Because that's the good thing to do. Because that's what my heart wants to do. That's that's how my heart wants to, to worship you. David's life is hanging in the balance and he's breaking into a worship, <laughs> a worship service. <laughs> the armies have surrounded David, and he's breaking out in praise. And saying, so, Yeah, when I'm done with this, when, when this is all done and I'm done hiding, I'm oh God, I'm I'm gonna worship you. You are great. I'm gonna worship you because I want to. I'm gonna give thanks to your name because you're worth it, because you're God. You're my deliverer. You are my salvation. He says in verse seven, He has delivered me from every trouble. And my eyes has looked on. has looked in triumph on my enemies. God, you have been faithful every time in my life. David now is in his mind, he is recounting the victories of God. And every single time, from when he was a child slaying a bear, a lion, to when he's an older child and slayed Goliath, to the other victories that he's had over the Philistines. Say, God, You've been there all along. You have delivered me from every trouble. So at the end of this prayer, David looks back and says, God, you've been so faithful to me. You've delivered me every single time and every time I'm left standing and staring down at my enemies. And not because of me, but because of you. David says, how could I possibly have any other recourse in the present circumstance even though there is no plausible situation that I could escape this right now I'm surrounded. I have guys over here that have betrayed me. I have an army over here who's bloodthirsty for my blood. Calvin in, in his commentary on on this psalm says David, was a fugitive among the dens of the earth, and even there in hazard of his life. How then could he speak of God as being near to him? He was pressed down to the very mouth of the grave. And how could he recognize the gracious presence of God? He was trembling in the momentary expectation of being destroyed. And how is it possible that he can triumph in the certain hope that divine help will presently be extended to him. Behold the power of faith. It hopes against hope. I don't know why. I I am always drawn to passages in Scripture that deal with dealing with difficulties in life. And I don't know if that's God preparing me for a lot of difficulties in my life. It may be. (laughs) Uh, But... uh, But God's goodness always shines through when you turn away from the circumstance and to the sovereign God behind them. So now let's turn back to 1 Samuel 23. Turn back to 1 Samuel 23. We're going to pick it up in verse 26. So David has penned this psalm when he finds out, uh, the heading of the psalm, when he finds out, I probably should have covered that, but... He he finds out that the people of Ziphiv, uh, the Ziphites, have turned against him, betrayed him. And uh, we see that, verse 26, David went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, guess what happens? A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape, and David went from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. seems like a simple conclusion right like that's just like god that is just like god to face us with an impossible situation only to sovereignly move another nation to come and attack another people to call fall away now let me also draw your attention to the people that the philistines are attacking no one talks about them in the situation. And they could, you could put yourself in their sandals. The Philistines are attacking. They'd be like, God, why are the Philistines attacking? God could say, so I could save my anointed David. They have no idea. They have no idea why the Philistines are attacking. But it's all part of God's sovereign plan. You could be David or you could be the people in the village that the Philistines are now attacking as part of God's sovereign plan to save David. The ultimate reality is we have no idea why we go through what we go through. David didn't know why Saul ran away. And the people who were now being attacked by the Philistines had no idea why they were being attacked. But it was all part of God's sovereign plan. And God was faithful through and through. Even when they're being hunted down and even when they're being attacked. God is faithful because God will move the circumstances to what suits his purposes and his plans. And how many times have we been in situations like that where we feel like we are surrounded in the desert on the side of a mountain and there is no possible way of escape and we hit our knees and we pray to God and say, God, you alone are my salvation. You are faithful. You have been faithful. For the sake of your name, preserve me. And then... You open your eyes, and the army's gone. The threat's gone. And you have no idea why. And you're left looking around saying, what happened? You know, in my own smallest experience, um, I, I've i never been one to really deal with anxiety and have that experience of anxiety. Like, I've always been a pretty even keel person. Um, when I was in seminary, going through seminary, I I had an anxiety attack one night, um, as I was sitting and studying and preparing for the end of semester and looking at like the weeks that I had, looking at the amount of work that I had ahead of me, and like I suddenly just, I found it hard to like stu- breathe, and I'm like, what what's happening to me right now? I'm not familiar with this sensation. Like this isn't normal for me. What's going on? And and I, I dropped to my knees and I, I, I cried out to God and I prayed. And I, I, I said, God, you want me here. You want me doing this. Help, help me to get through this. And you know what happened? The rest of the semester was a breeze. It all happened and it happened easily. And I was left at the end of the semester looking back and recalling the, the desperate situation that I was in. And I was asking, like, what was that? What was that there? Was, was that real? Like, did I, was the circumstance really that bad? Or was God just showing me that my perspective needed to change? Obviously, I don't, I don't know. I know that my perspective probably did need to change <laughs> that night. Um, and because I, I don't think anything, not a single circumstance changed. I didn't go to school the next day and one of the professors say, remember that paper that's due next week? Forget about it. <laughs> no more exams. Right? No, that didn't obviously happen. God didn't change the circumstances. God just changed my perspective on it. And that's all that was necessary. And sometimes we find ourselves in absolutely perplexing and impossible situations. And we just need to cry out to God. We, we, we cry out to God and say, God, save me by your name. Echo the prayers of Paul, or Paul, <laughs> the prayer of David. I, it's funny. Before I got up here, I said to myself, "Like I've been preaching through Romans for what seems like years. And, and then when I didn't, we went through the book of Colossians, right? <laughs> and so I said to myself, I'm going to say Paul at some point. David wrote this, not Paul. David David was going through these circumstances. This was life. This was reality. And this is our life. And we may not have an army bearing down upon us. We may not. Usually, that would probably be a weird circumstance if we found ourselves being, you know, hunted down by an army. We're probably not going to find ourselves in an identical situation like David. But there are going to be times in our life where the situation is out of hand. Right? It's out of our control. And that's when we have the power of faith in a God who we, who we trust. And David was able to, to worship like this because he knew God. Because he was able to worship and, and worship in knowledge. That's why it's so important to know the word of God and to know God himself. So when you find yourselves in these situations, in these circumstances, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here because I don't think there's anyone here who would be like, it's not important to read the Bible. Right? I don't, think, I don't think that's an argument that I need to make with anyone in the, in, in the audience right now. Uh, but... But that's, that's why it's important to read the Bible. That's why it's important to know God. So you know who it is that you're appealing to. You know who it is that, that you're crying out to. So when the situation seems impossible, you say, but they don't have God on their side. I have God on my side. So God, vindicate me. Save me. Work through this. I'm going to sit back over here, God, and I'm going to watch how you work. And then I'm going to praise you with a free will offering because you're all I have." Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father, I thank you for, for the Psalms. I thank you for, for David, Lord. I thank you for putting David in this impossible situation, Lord. And Lord, it's in these impossible situations that you place us in, God, that you teach us about your faithfulness and your goodness, your resourcefulness, God, your sovereignty, your control, your power, your goodness, your faithfulness, God. That uh, it's in those times that we learn about those things firsthand. So that we can we can worship you, so that we can come to you with free will offerings, Lord, not out of uh, compulsion, not not out of a, a, a sense of duty, but because we want to worship you, Lord, because you are worthy of it, God, you are worthy of it.